There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, I'm Sophie Ellis-Bexter, and welcome to Spinning Plates, the podcast where I speak to busy working women who also happen to be mothers about how they make it work. I'm a singer, and I've released seven albums in between having my five sons, aged 16 months to 16 years, so I spin a few plates myself. Being a mother can be the most amazing thing, but can also be hard to find time for yourself and your own ambitions. I want to be a bit nosy and see how other people balance everything. Welcome to Spinning Plates. Hello, my fellow spinning platesters. Um, that's what I'm going to call you from now on. Um, if we see each other in the street, it's just a high five and like a, a nod and then spinning platesters and then a high five. Uh, obviously, that's post-COVID restrictions, <laughs> by which time I hope you'll forget I ever had this idea because, quite frankly, it would be terrible to greet someone in that way and say playing spinning platesters. Uh how have you been? Isn't it nice that spring is on its way? Uh, we live next door to a house that has a beautiful magnolia, uh, which is in full bloom right now. It's gorgeous. Pink flowers are everywhere. And we've had two days of blue sky. And it is helping. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I was always really looking forward to spring. I thought it would make me feel like a lot more of a spring in my step. And it's more like a little, little teeny tiny spring. But that's fine. I'll take it. It's still a lift, right? And what else is going on? Um, my eldest is nearly finished. He's just doing GCSEs at the moment, so he's figuring his way through the last bits of work without the exams, which am I allowed to say I'm quite happy about that? I was always dreading the exams for him. And what else? Uh, oh, I had a lovely thing where I sort of went through the telly box into a programme I love, which is Grace and Perry's Art Club. Um, I don't know if you would have seen it, but... We love Grayson Perry and his wife, Philippa Perry, in our house. And I'd never met them before, but I really love the program that they do because it's all about art for art's sake and it's not at all elitist, which I think is exactly how creative stuff should be. It should just be something where we all encourage it with each other because it's so good for the soul. And that's exactly what his program is about and about how art creates the narrative for whatever's going on in your life and the importance of that. And we did a show together where he was talking about his dreams and ended up singing um, the <laughs> Sex Pistols versions of, version of My Way where I was in my kitchen and he was in his studio and I thought we gave it a pretty good shot. And what else? I think that's kind of it, really. I'm just trying to finish my book. I've been writing an autobiography. And I honestly have no idea if it's any good or not, which I know is not what I should say while you're listening to me. I should be giving it the big, it's going to be amazing, guys. But I'm actually just writing and writing and I haven't read anything back. I do know that I've told you a lot of stuff. Anyone that reads it, you're going to know a lot about me by the time you finish. And, you know, I'm okay with that, actually. So, this week, I am speaking to Ellie Taylor. Now, Ellie Taylor is a very funny woman. She's a comedian and does lots of stand-up in her own right, as well as um, appearing on panel shows. 
and being funny in the process. And it's funny because I watched her years ago, actually, at one of the big comedy shows they do at Hammersmith, uh, the O2 um, venue down the road. And I hadn't really realised until I was looking back over stand-up how much of her stand-up was about mothers and kids and essentially saying she didn't want any of it (laughs) well now ellie is a mother herself she has a little girl who is two and she has had things so turned around that she's now written a book and it's called my child and other mistakes and she said as you would have seen in the clip for this show she is now a little bit obsessed with new mothers and with parenthood in general and there's something that she said which I thought was really beautiful because I think she struggled a little bit when she had a baby and didn't really know which way was up for a while. And she said that every positive thing that other mothers said to her was like another breath into the lifeboat and it was just enough air to kind of get her across the choppy waters. So that was really lovely. But she also made me laugh a lot and that's always a good thing, although it does mean you have to listen a lot to my giggling. Sorry about that. Anyway... I am actually going to... Oh, that's my bloody doorbell. Did you hear that? I don't even know. I bet it's another delivery. Honestly, we get so many packages around here. I'm always, I got something this morning. It was some, some toy I'd managed to buy for £1.70 on eBay. It's just constant. I'm trying to listen to it. Don't know. Anyway, you're not interested in that. I'm not interested in that. going to have a cup of tea and listen to Ellie Tape. I'll see you on the other side. Bye-bye. Well, thank you very much for talking to me. Oh, you're very, very welcome. Um, I've really loved doing the podcast mainly because I do get to have conversations outside of the people I see all the time, which has been so nice. Um, <laughs> God, I know, yeah. <laughs> and also because uh, it's kind of work, saying that with inverted commas, um, I'm allowed to shut myself away and not be interrupted for a bit. So it's all good. Um, because you have one small person and she is... About the same age as my smallest person, but she's been in nursery, has she? For yes. So while? yeah. So uh, she was. She started nursery just before lockdown, so she just got settled in the original lockdown. Do you remember that? Um, <laughs> way back, way back in the day. Um, yeah. So she just sort of got settled in, and then we had to pull her out. So she was just over one at that that stage, and mm. then yeah, it was into full on toddler at home. Um, but yeah, now she's back in nursery, and she goes three days a week, and it is absolute heaven. Yes, that is. It's just amazing, isn't it, when you get that quiet house again and it's like, oh, what can I do with the time? Oh, my God. The way, when I drop her off and I wave goodbye and see a little smiley face and I'll just walk down the road, like, singing George Michael's Freedom, like, <laughs> hey, I can walk over the road and I don't need to wait for the green man. Yeah. <laughs> it's just such simple pleasures. I know, because actually, um, with... With the the lockdown situation with the five kids, it's the toddler, the little one, Mickey, that's been the most defining in terms of the mood around here. And he's also busy. And so that that's the thing. that if, I feel like if I hadn't had a toddler this last year, it would have been a lot easier. Yeah, that was really poor planning on your part, I'm afraid, <laughs> Terrible Sophie. <planning>. So <laughs> <laughs> Mine's just got to the age now where um, she can watch a film which is amazing. So she, I mean, it's the same, it's bloody frozen, of course it is, but she will sit and watch that happily. And that Mm. is quite, I feel like that's quite a shift in the sort of, the family dynamic in that. It's like, oh, you get to have like proper family time, which isn't just her sort of creating chaos in every part of the house. So just be able to sit down together and watch that. We got to watch Finding Nemo the other day and it was probably the best Saturday afternoon I've spent in many a year. Yeah. Um, Just really, yeah, really good fun. Yeah, it's funny you say that because I have spent lots of time training up each of my kids when they get to that point to really get them into screen time. Yeah. <laughs> like, try again. Try again with the TV. You're going to boost your ability to watch it for a long time. Just, yeah. Even if we just add on a minute each session, that's fine with me. I love that. It's not like learning the piano or the guitar or Cantonese. It's like, no, just learn to get better at telly. Yeah, just sitting still, being hypnotised by a screen. Yeah, be a zombie. Be a TV zombie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a wonderful sense of achievement, I feel, now that I've got got to that point when when have you been writing your book then in the last have a long yeah so I'm during the sort of oh god I can't even remember it's been such a blur now isn't it um (laughs) I remember when so when the first lockdown happened and my husband has a grown-up job he's like a salaried employee so he had to sort of take priority work-wise and me as a self-employed 
show off for hire had to just do childcare. So I was purely parenting. Um, so obviously I couldn't really do anything. Um, I found that really, really hard not to be able to do anything and having no time for myself. Um, that was really tricky not to be able to have the space away to like create which I always think sounds terribly wanky but it's true for someone who is like so I'm a stand-up comic um I'm a writer I'm an actor to not be able to do any of that felt really stifling and I felt very resentful against my husband towards Mm. my husband I should say because uh, I mean it wasn't his fault someone has to pay the mortgage but um it just it was infuriating for me so when I think it was sort of the as the lockdowns was it two I don't know is that your favourite too? Who knows? Um, when it got a bit easier and when we were allowed to have um, a babysitter come in, then that's when I started my writing my book. So I saw it was in the summer, I think. So it's taken about uh, probably about six months or so to write. Um, but when I got that chance again, when I, the babysitter could come and when she could go back to nursery, just to be able to put her in nursery, put her where she needed to go and to be able to know that the whole day before me was just me in my little office, mm. tip-tapping away with headphones in, felt just like such a beautiful present lay ahead for me for that day just mm. to have that space and that ability to just create something uh, to do something I've I've really enjoyed the process actually of writing a book um, which I, I wasn't quite sure how it was going to be but I've bloody loved it well there's so much you said there that really resonates with me um, especially that bit at the beginning about the resentment of I kept feeling like you know when um you see those cartoons where there's like a kid and then a much older kid or a grown-up is holding their head like this, so they're trying to run somewhere, but their hands yeah, on yeah. their head. And that's yeah. really how I felt at the beginning of last March because I felt like I just had nowhere to put any of the things I normally do to make me tick because, like you, um, my work is is a big part of just what makes me function. It's not like going and doing a job just to pay the bills. You know, we're, we're really lucky that we have a job that does that for us, but it's, it means that when you haven't got that outlet, it's a huge part of you that's just put on hold and I struggled so much with it and was hugely resentful of the fact that Richard had an office, actually. That was the thing I found. He's got a studio at home. I had no space to go to. Um, so I really get that. And so with your husband's work, this, he's a, a journalist, is that right? Yeah, he's a journalist. So he would be working from home and then going away for shoots as and when he needed to. Um, so yeah, it was, it, was, it was full on for a while. But once I sort of... And I think quite often this is the case in regards to many aspects of parenting. Once I sort of lent into it, to use that phrase, once I stopped sort of resenting um, the fact that I had to mother all the time and once I threw myself into it more, then it was just more, inevitably it becomes more joyful when you stop like resisting it and just go, right, this is what we do now. Yeah. This is this is what, this is your job for the moment. Um, it became much easier. And it's definitely been, she's had, my child's had a, such a lovely year because she spent so much time with us and had yeah. had so much attention from us so she's only ever really had the benefits of it um so yeah and and, and I and I did and I have managed to get a book out of it as well it was so funny because I remembered when I was in that real peak of god I can't do anything I just want to sit down and write for half an hour my friend Brona who's a writer said Ellie you've got to remember this is a global pandemic it's not a writer's retreat <laughs> And I was like, that's so bloody true. And then obviously I took that advice and then wrote a book. (laughs) (laughs) But the book, um, my book's called uh, My Child and Other Mistakes. And it's all about uh, having a child, uh, you know, making the decision to have a child and getting pregnant and having the baby. Um, And I think, uh, you know, I suppose the thing the thing is about that subject that the the topic and the material is generating all the time. So being stuck in lockdown while I couldn't do much there were still lots of things that were happening that would eventually become things that I could use and work with so I suppose in a way I'd, I don't want to look at it as wasted time it was just different time yeah well it's like I felt like even when with my own little sort of raging I felt like I was kind of it was like death throes or something that I knew really if I was being a bit pragmatic like there's no way you know we are as you said in a pandemic you can't really get frustrated about these things. Like I sort of knew I was almost having a slightly petulant, like, eh, but mm. I want to, and I knew it wasn't really going to happen. But I suppose for you, what's interesting is that when, so your daughter would have been about 16 months, I guess, no, a bit older than that, but 18 months, I guess, when the pandemic thing was all kicking off. So it, to be thinking back to the time you'd, you hadn't really had that long since you'd had the bit where you'd only just had her and taken time out of your work and had that time to your when you're not doing your work. So it's kind of quite 
funny, you probably felt like you just started to get back into feeling like yourself again and then go back on hold. Yeah, exactly. I think especially when they first got going into some kind of childcare, that's you feel like you found your freedom again and like, wow, things are opening up and you have these whole days where you can do what you want. Uh, well, work, but <laughs> do what you want with your work. Um, yeah, and then for that to suddenly all close down again. Yeah, it felt like you sort of, I was just getting momentum up and getting used to it and working out how to be a working parent. And then, oh no, sorry, that's not happening for a while. Yeah, and what was going on when you first got pregnant? Did you did you always want to have kids? Uh, it was a real, um, no, not really. I, I think I, I was, I've never very maternal. I'm not maternal, I don't really... I didn't really like babies. I had no interest in babies. I had a niece and a nephew who I couldn't really give monkeys about. They were fine, but <laughs> my sister, I remember my sister being so upset with me because she was like, why don't you want to come and babysit the children? All my friends' sisters want to come and babysit. And I was like, I just don't, because I have a nice life where I don't have to deal with horrible little psychopaths. So why would I want to give up my weekend? I used to feel like I was doing her such an honour to look after her children. Um, it was a real, like, I was I was always very pissed off about it. Um <laughs> So, yeah, just not interested in it. And if I saw a baby, I had no visceral, you know, like I didn't have the broody, oh, I just want to smell it. I never wanted to sniff a child, thank you. <laughs> I always felt that way around, and I've spoken about this in stand-up a lot, I've, I've, I've felt that way about, around cats. I've always loved cats. Cats make me do silly voices. Oh, it's so cute, I don't want to, I don't want that voice. Babies absolutely can give monkeys. Um, <laughs> but then it sort of got to the, well, how old was I? I was like 34 and me and my husband had been married a bit and, we'd, you know, there was a lot of pressure from everyone around and all my friends were shooting out children all over the place, like baby Nerf guns. And then um, I basically made the decision that, and it's very bleak, that I didn't think I wanted to die having not ever been a mother. That was where I ended up. And I was like, well, in that case, got to have a baby, innit? <laughs> so um yeah then we were very lucky to fall pregnant quite quickly and then once we got to that point I was very I was very into it like I I you know was all over mum's net forums and stuff I was like really interested in oh, wow. the whole process deep. yeah I went deep and I <laughs> so for someone who wasn't interested in babies I then totally you know died cannonballed into the world of of sort of pregnancy um, and wanted to learn everything I could possibly learn about it. And I think now I've had a child, now I get the baby thing. Because I think, but it's not just about the pure baby. I think I get what other mothers have been through and I get what it has taken to, you know, be in a cafe and having lunch. Like, you know, there's the whole backstory of that woman going through the pregnancy, having the birth, doing the first newborn bit. And there she is today having a sandwich while her child sits next to her you just I don't know there's just so much sort of more respect and understanding and I just love mums so fucking much Sophie like I just especially new mums they're my absolute catnip I will chat up new mums everywhere if I see a mum with a newborn baby oh god I'm in there like like a ferret up a trouser leg I just and I always have my go and I have a go-to line of picking them up I always say to them that one looks fresh and then they laugh because they're emotion- me, they don't even have a baby yeah <laughs> <laughs> they have to talk to me because they're emotionally vulnerable and someone has paid attention to them yes. so then I'm in then we have a chat and I tell them how amazing they look even if they look like shit I tell them they look amazing I tell them they're doing amazingly I tell them it gets better that's why I think is key. You have to hear that yes. it does get better. And these first wild months are not a good illustration of what the rest of parenting is like. It is not like this. It is not as mad and crazy and as unpredictable as this. It gets mm-hmm. so much better. And I think just to, that's what I really need. Basically, I try and give the talk that I wanted when I was a new mum. So yeah. I try and just chuck that at women. My favourite hunting ground when it is open is John Lewis Baby Department. There's <laughs> lots of very vulnerable women there that I can talk to. <laughs> Um, so that's that's why I'd recommend. <laughs> I wish I'd bumped into you when I just had my first baby. I think you're right that the, those are lovely things to hear when you've had a baby, but also I feel like actually we don't necessarily hear that much of that at the time. Um, yeah. Especially yeah. With the, the first one is the one that knocks you for six, I think. Um, if I'd seen someone like me doing sort of like gigs pregnant and having the kids all over the place when I was having my first, I would have thought, I'll never feel like that, actually, because I didn't feel like that for a really long time. 
And I, I, it's so funny to hear you talk about all that when you used to not be at all interested and now you're not just interested, just slightly stalking. Yeah. <laughs> People used to have zero interest in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, I just, I, yeah, I just, oh, just, I know what it takes. And I think I had quite a hard newborn period. I did not enjoy it. I much prefer where we are. I'm in a toddler mm. station and I much prefer it. And not everyone, I just, I'm also where I don't want to like terrify any pregnant women listening. Not everyone has an awful newborn stage. I mean, the degrees of awful. It's hard at some points, but some women really flourish and they love it. Mm. That was just not me. And I just I'm, I always want to be very vocal about the fact that I found the newborn days a big pile of bum. They were awful. I hated it. I wanted it all to go away. I thought I'd made a mistake. And all saying all of that, I still like, I don't know if I loved my child at that point, but I liked her. Didn't mm. want any harm to happen to her. Um, but I think you can you can say all those things about absolutely how dog shit those days are and still be a good mum and still love your child. The two things are not linked, you know. It doesn't mean that you dislike your child or you're a bad, negligent parent to say that you found those days really, really hard. Yeah, no, I don't think it means that at all. In fact, if anything, I think probably that's more the norm, actually, because the books, don't they talk you through the physical side of things and about these emotional connections you're supposed to feel very much straight away. And that doesn't happen for everybody. And I think my most unhappy moments, not just actually with my new baby, but just across the whole parenting spectrum, have been when I'm trying to fulfil some sort of version of a mother that I don't feel I'm obtaining that, you know, some sort of perfection of being able to, I don't know, teach them how to manage their own anger where, and never um, modelling any bad behaviour in myself or how to get them into routines or... like this. this it's just one hurdle after another that I never fly over those those jumps. Yeah. So <laughs> I think that's that's definitely more the norm, but you're not really... It's always quite taboo, I think, to talk about a lot of that stuff sometimes, um, particularly when you're sharing stories with other, other new parents at the time. Yeah, yeah. I think that's why I was so... Um... I've been, I wanted to write my book because it was, it's the, basically the book I wanted to read. I would have liked to have read when I was deciding if I wanted to have a kid uh, and, you know, pregnant. I would have, or had the, had a new baby. I would have really liked to have read it because it's not, uh, it's, it's funny, obviously, but it's really, really honest. And mm. it's, you know, there's not a guide on positions during labour or 37 ways to safely serve your toddler a grape. It's not, none of that. It's not very helpful, but it's just... Um, I like to think of it as just a, a, it's it's my very ordinary story of having a child, but that is the story of so many women. Mm. So many women. If you are fortunate enough to be blessed with a healthy child and you have a reasonably uncomplicated uh, pregnancy and birth, that's their story. It's so it's so commonplace and it happens every day. And it's like people sort of think of it like shelling peas. Or she's just had a kid. She just had a baby. But for every woman, for every birth, having that baby is seismic. Like, your your life has shifted. The tectonic plates that you stand on have moved. Mm. It's massive, but it's so commonplace at the same time. And that's that's what I wanted to reflect back in the book, is that it's just, you know, my, my like I said, my ordinary, extraordinary story. Um, and I hope that it resonates with other people, just to give sort of a... True, true tale, a, an honest account of the front line of parenting. Mm. No, it definitely would be something that people want to hear about for sure. And it's funny because looking back at some of your stand-up, and I've actually seen you live before at Hammersmith Apollo, and so it's really funny, but I sort of didn't really take on board when I saw you first until I was looking back again how much of your material is about um, either not wanting kids or sort of fascination with, you know, how people have managed to have kids like accidentally or there was a whole thing about, I've, I've forgotten you did this back at the time, but they did that silly thing on Instagram, I think it was, where people were sharing, what was it? Four the motherhood challenge. The motherhood yeah. challenge, which is a load of nonsense anyway, but it was like four or five pictures of you looking proud in motherhood. Yeah. Um, and what you did, I actually thought was really funny. And I'm surprised so many women mothers got um, offended by it but you basically sort of took pictures of yourself doing all the things you can be proud of as a non-mother like yeah. sleeping and it was all it was yeah it was before I had kids and it was just me sleeping five pictures of me <laughs> or four pictures of me asleep and one me asleep with a bottle of wine that's still funny uh, now isn't it even though you're not the other side of it yeah, right yeah that's the thing yeah I think <laughs> like, why would they yeah, don't worry <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah um, I, I suppose 
the, the stuff you would have seen is all sort of when I'm in my thirties uh, and it was all when that sort of, um, you know, those, you start asking yourself questions if you haven't got children, because it is such an expected yeah. path to take. So you, even if you don't end up having children, you, 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 you consider it because it's sort of shoved down your throat yes. uh, so much. <laughs> yes. Well, as you say as well, when you got married and then people ask questions, questions, I'm always quite surprised that it's such a normal thing people think they can ask you about when it's actually incredibly personal. Yeah, yeah. You you realise the more, you know, you have friends who are having problems or yeah. have, you suffered baby loss or something and you realise how awful the question it can be. It's so loaded and so often it's just used to fill a gap yeah. in conversation, just like, you know, you're going anywhere on your holidays. It's just like that shoved in and it's so not any of your business. And I've done it myself and I still find myself doing it. And as I'm saying that question, I think, what the fuck are you doing? Shut up. You don't, it's none of your business. <laughs> but it's just like a, a, a sort of social tick and it comes out. Are you planning on having any more kids? Mm-hmm. Do you want more kids? I mean, I get that now because I've got, I've only got one. Um, so yeah, you're going to have another one. And it's such, I find that a really loaded question because it is. it's something I'm really... I'm not sure about if anything it feels like a bigger decision than having the first one yeah um and I just I keep I increasingly keep thinking like I keep seeing girls from school or uni or whatever or people from uni going oh surprise guys we're having another baby and I'm like that's your third child and I get I get like angry because I'm like how are you so certain that you want another child. I'm so jealous of your certainty. And how can you actively want to go through this awful stuff again? And I like I look at you, Sophie, and I'm just like, I can't get my head around how you can function with five children. <laughs> what like, makes you think I'm functioning? <laughs> <laughs> You're in a quiet room and you look like you've brushed Locked your hair. Away. Yeah. <laughs> but it's quite it is extraordinary what you've done. Like to any woman I think you've had more than one child I just I've I'm in I'm fascinated and in awe and I want to know everything um, yeah <laughs> it is interesting a lot of that stuff I mean I think um for me I, I sort of felt like we could have had just one or lots it's kind of weird because my eldest is actually nearly five years older than my next one along so I think there was a long time when I wasn't thinking about it at all and the adjustment to being Sonny's mum was enormous to me enormous in loads of ways just how to still find for my time for myself I got married when he was about one as well so I was sort of factoring in my feelings about being in this very adult committed relationship where you know I didn't even know if I was necessarily going to get married I think because my parents marriage didn't work out so that I had to sort of think about that and then yeah about being his mum and then also I was making my third album at the time and I didn't know how to be like a music, a pop star anymore, a pop star with a baby. That felt weird. But but to be honest, what you've done with stand-up to me is like my next level, like phobia of stage stuff. Um, I watched stand-up and just... Have, do you remember that programme, Quantum Leap? Yeah. I always feel like if I by accident make eye contact with the comedian, I'm going to do a Quantum Leap and I'm going to have to know their material. <laughs> oh. I've, honestly... So much is this paranoia that I often prepare a little anecdote that I think might be mildly amusing to uh, to tell if I find myself up on stage. Sophie, that's absolutely bats. I know. Now that I've said that out loud, I do realise that. That's amazing. It's not even very good, the stories I tell. They're not that funny. I bet you've got some stories, mate. <laughs> I think it's just funny sometimes, the, the little quirks in your own mind, the, the little loops you can go on. So I've got that one. And the other one is I once heard... If you're being attacked, like if a burglar breaks in, to break the um, sort of uh, the energy of their adrenaline, you're supposed to quote song lyrics back at them because the emotional intensity of it will kind of disarm them and it could even make them cry. Right. And I think I probably heard about that about six years ago and I spent the last six years trying to work out what song I'd do. <laughs> what have, <laughs> like, what have you settled on? I you haven't, haven't decided. decided. <laughs> Everything Maybe. I think of is wrong. Yeah, maybe not murder on the dance floor. That wouldn't help in a breaking situation. <laughs> it's not an emotional song. I don't know. I think it, I'm like, everything I think of is like, no, not that. It's like my brain has decided to form a file of songs that wouldn't work, like Jolene and stuff. It's just wrong. I just love the idea of, yeah, you getting, yeah, coming across an intruder and start like doing something by Adele or something. Yeah, yeah, Hello. Yeah. Yes, there you go. <laughs> 
One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f- are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass so to recap we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out my solution is plush care PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. But you've done stand-up since you've had your baby. Yeah, yeah. So I've been doing stand-up for like 10, 11 years now. So um, I loved, I actually loved doing stand-up when I was pregnant. I found that probably the most enjoyable bit of my career because I found it so, uh, strapping for a cliche, empowering to be um, a really visibly massive pregnant woman holding a microphone, being in charge. And I just think it's it's a visual you don't often get. Mm. Um, and I really enjoyed it. I found I also found that I felt so physically funny. Like, pregnant women look hilarious. You're like, <laughs> look at you, you've got a massive stupid bump. Like, not yucky or awful, I love pregnant women, but I just think they look so satisfying and silly. Um, and I really enjoyed, I'm quite physical with my performance anyway, mm. so I really sort of enjoyed playing on that. Um, so yeah, I absolutely loved it. And then subsequently I've done um, a tour uh, about uh, having my kid and about agreeing to do a tour with a newborn, which is a very stupid idea. Um, so I've still got tour dates actually that have been inevitably, I'm sure you've had this, mm. I think they're being rescheduled again for the fourth time mm. um, to finish that tour. I mean, there's stories about having a newborn. My child is basically old enough to do the bloody show herself now because it's been delayed so long. <laughs> um, How old was she when you did your first tour then? Uh, she was about nine months, I think, nine, ten months so I had to start writing it when she was about three months, which was, I just shouldn't have put myself in that position to have, you know, I, obviously, you know, you, you put things on sale, they go, they sort of go, the, people buy tickets long before the thing exists. Mm-hmm. So um, I put the tour on sale when my child was eight, when I was eight and a half months pregnant with my child. Oh, wow. And then suddenly, yeah, and then I got, you know, I was, maybe I was like, I remember just crying to my sister when I was maybe had a six week old, like, how am I going to write this show? I feel mental. I am, I don't know who I am at the moment. I don't feel funny. I know that. How am I going to write this? And she was like, well, just cancel it then. You're not exactly Michael Jackson, are you? Which was very true. Uh, She has a way of grounding me, my sister, which really made me laugh. But I still, I did it. I did. I didn't feel like I could. I think I'm too proud to so I struggled on and I did it but I certainly wouldn't recommend it again I just think you can't you just underestimate I I think I underestimated how impactful having a child would be on me like to get your head around this whole new concept of being a mother it's Mm. it's enormous so yeah I, I wish I'd taken a bit more maternity leave have you I bet you've sort of dabbled with different amounts different amount of maternity leaves then what would you what's your preferred (laughs) um my favorite thing to do is just stuff I suppose that's kind of on my own uh, time frame and that I don't I I think having to be glamorous is really hard when you've got a tiny baby so I've only really done that with the last one where I went on tour when he was 
Uh, so he was born in January and I went on tour in May. So he was four months old. Wow. And to be honest, I felt pretty great. I was like, I've just had my fifth baby. I'm 39. I was on tour with an orchestra. And I felt I felt quite clever and I also felt really wholesome because the sound checks was a 21-piece orchestra, so the strings, harp, it just sounded beautiful. I'd be sat there with Mickey in my arms and then I'd have a little sing-song and it just felt, yeah, it felt really wholesome. It felt like being sort of in this musical Walton sort of world where all the edges are all kind of blurred and it's all in soft focus. I think if it had been a really big rocky tour, I might have struggled with it more. Yeah. But with this little newborn... And Richard, my husband, is in the band. So what was happening is the first half of the gig was just orchestral. And quite growing up, I had a conductor and that was really kind of careful. And then the band would come out and we'd go full on disco, sort of Studio 54 vibes, do all the old songs, but with loads of the orchestra on top. And then I'd walk off stage and there'd be Mickey. So like, I don't know, say 17 weeks old. And I'd give him a feed if he need one, or he'd be like in his little Moses basket all wrapped up waiting for me. And I just thought, this is great. Um, but I don't think I could have done that with any of the others. Uh, the one, the time I made a mistake was when I had Ray. So that's my third baby. And it sounds silly to say it now, but my first two had been quite premature and two months early. So I, oh, did, I wasn't really wow. expecting to have a full-term baby. So I'd booked this, we had a DJ gig in Serbia, I think it was that Coet was when he was about six weeks old. And I'd sort of forgotten I'd said yes to it. And I think I thought he'd be, be probably a little bit older than he was. That shows, again, the craziness of my thought process. But, yeah, then I realised about two days before we were going to go, oh, golly, no, it's coming up, it's the night after, it's in two days. And I just sobbed. Like, I, I, how could I leave my baby? I didn't have his time to sort his passport. Mm. So we had to go away for a night. And it was I found that horrible. It was like velcro you know and you're like, yeah. like pulling you away from him yeah my favorite oh sorry yeah i was reminiscing no. about times when i've worked no. with a baby though. no please go on <laughs> it's so interesting you like i know what you mean when you say like wholesome and you felt really good not that i've done a big tour with an orchestra but i suppose there are aspects of as hard as it is being a working mum sometimes when i do i've done some work and then you do return back to the fold and you are sitting on the floor playing jute play i do think God, I did really well today. I've I've done it today. Today I've won. I've done some work and I've made it back and my child is there and she's happy. And sometimes I feel really proud of myself. And I think that's quite important actually to celebrate those little wins. When you do Rather than constantly just being like, oh, I'm so torn and I'm so tired and who's picking her up on Thursday? Yeah. Um, just to, yeah, like as hard as it is, there are, sometimes you just feel, you can feel that lovely moment of pride. Yeah, definitely. And I think the other thing you've done, which I think is really brilliant um, is that when when I had my first, I was only I was twenty four when I got pregnant, and my mum said to me, "Oh, the great thing about being a young mum is that you're you can still be quite selfish." And I suppose what I took from that is that inferred that sometimes when women aren't young, super young mums, they've got the the event of having a baby makes them think they have to rejig everything to sort of factor it back in. But actually, I don't think that's true. So I think the other thing you should be really proud of is actually. The fact that you actually did something for yourself quite soon after having a baby, I think, is really impressive because, you know, the, the fact that you had this small baby and then still did a tour when she's like nine, ten months old. I mean, that's, yeah. I think that's amazing, especially yeah. with your first baby. Yeah, but I don't know because I think what I, arguably doing something for myself then would have been not doing the tour. Do you mm, know what I mean? Like, and it all, it, it's tricky because it all worked out well and the tour was good and everyone enjoyed it, apart from people in Epsom. They didn't like it, but that's another story. <laughs> But and, it, and it's a success story. But then you look back and you go, yeah, it was a success story, but did it need to happen? Mm. Do you know what I mean? I survived it and we all did okay. But if I had another child, I certainly wouldn't be doing... I think I'd want to take proper do nothing for six months just to take the pressure off. Because it's not even just doing the work. It's having the work hang over you. Yeah. You know, like a black cloud knowing there's a shadow. Oh, God, I've got to do that in this week. And the, you know, counting down the days is quite stressful. Um, but uh, I definitely, I never wanted to stop working. Um, it's just a matter of, yeah, trying to factor in just spinning plates, really. Well, there Isn't you it, go. Sophie? It there is spinning really plates. <laughs> um, so when you used to make your, your jokes about not having babies when you were sort of in the lead up, do you think it was this sort of, it, does it surprise you you've become quite fascinated now by by new motherhood? Or do you think in a way those two things kind of, they're probably a bit more of a fast, you know, it was a bit more of a topic because it was 
sort of lurking there. Like, yeah, I think I did. <laughs> I, you know, I did a lot of, I do a lot of research and things. I'm a little geek and anything that I want to do, I do a lot of homework on and having a child is no exception. So I suppose, I don't think it is necessary, necessarily a surprise that I'm now just in passionate love with new parents. I could talk about being a mum and I could talk about pregnancy and birth and babies and children forever. And I never thought I would be like that. I never get bored. Tell me about your child being on the milk ladder. I'll sit down and listen, babes. Like, I love it. I've got so much time and patience. Um, And I don't know that I'd expected that. But I suppose, I don't know, I I just feel like my child is now my specialist subject. And I feel part of a sisterhood now. You, I just I feel like I get women who've had children. I just we're all in it together. Even though sometimes it's a bloody bitchy sisterhood, and you know that's an that's a, another topic, isn't it? It's it's so passionate because people feel so well passionate about their child and their child rearing. And if yeah. they did something one way and it worked for them, then it's well, it's that's the right way. And it's quite hard to um, sort of see past that sometimes and remember that your child isn't the child of the world that represents all children and nor is your experience of parenthood I think that's I have to kind of remember that sometimes especially having one child so I've got no point of reference I'm sure with five children you're very much aware that not all children react the same to the same things um um but yeah I just I just I just bloody love mum Sophie so much. I get it. And I get, do you know what I get now is I always did like cringe when I'd see mothers wearing like t-shirts with mama on or like necklaces with like, you know, mother or mum or whatever, anything like that. I'd be like, so cringe. Why do you like have to show everyone that you're a mum? Who cares? But now I'm like, I get it. You want to flack that shit. You, you are proud of it. It's like the medal you are buying yourself that no one else will buy you because you are part of something so big that, you want to flag it, you want other people to acknowledge it, you want to know other people who are in the same group as you. And I and I get it. And I, it's been really eye-opening. I think it's so interesting, not just having a baby is not just about the baby. I think it's just really opened my eyes to parents and mothers and what what it takes to be a parent, really. And do you feel like you found, you kind of feel like yourself win amongst it all now? Do you feel like you've kind of recalibrated yourself yeah yeah I do and it's so funny because I feel like I know exactly what that question means because that yeah at the beginning I did not I didn't know who I was I didn't I couldn't understand how the world was still continuing when everything I knew had imploded (laughs) like how can anyone remember watching Gogglebox like how are Giles and Mary making jokes about the chase (laughs) And I am like, I don't know how to be <laughs> like, I'm having a like, who am I? What's going on? And how, do you know what I mean? How can anything continue yeah. while my life is in tatters? Um, and yeah, and I think to piece yourself back together and work out how you now exist with this new human that's in your life is, 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 a, is they, you don't teach you that in NCT. <laughs> No, they don't. And what, who did you turn to? What did help pull you out to feeling better about things? It was other mothers, which is probably why I'm so annoying to new mums, because I know that all the women in my life, my mum, my sister, my friends who've had kids, and a lot of the time it was people on you know social media who, I've, who maybe I've met once or twice or I know vaguely from work, or and a lot of the time it would be complete strangers getting in touch with me. And it was those little messages, a little DM. I remember, do you know, a lady down my road who I'd never spoken to before had seen me on Instagram. She obviously knew where I lived because we lived two doors down for each other. And she saw on uh, me putting on Instagram how I'd had mastitis for the 3000th time. And she dropped a little card in my door. And it was so sweet. And it was just a real example of women who've been there and done that, reaching out and saying, do you know, I know what you're doing. And it, it was basically it made me go you've survived so I know I'm going to survive too yeah but I and it's just it was those all those little bits of gorgeous bits of humanity it was like they were little breaths of life in a little life raft and that got me through to the other side and I didn't even really think about it at the time but they were so important and I had a wicked partner my husband was amazing um and I, I just can't to any woman who has had a child by themselves I salute you and mm. when the world when the when Armageddon happens, I want to be in a cave with you lot because 
you're kick ass. Yeah, to yeah. do it by yourself is unimaginably hard, and I, I cannot. Yeah, the courage and strength it takes in every sense is incredible. Um, so I felt very lucky to have such a good support system. But yes, basically, if if I've ever met you and I hear you're pregnant, well, sorry because I'll be in your inbox quicker than you can say get some anusol. Like I'll be in there. <laughs> Um, was it quite weird, do you think, for your husband to see you sort of going through all this and questioning yourself like that? Yeah, I don't know that he knew so much, to be honest. Mm. He's currently, so I've just, um, he's currently reading my book for the first time. Really? Like literally yes. right now? Yes. So it's wow. interesting, yeah. like, it'll be interesting to have a chat with him. Because yeah. when I spoke to my mum about it, she was like, I didn't know you felt that bad. And I don't know if he ever knew I felt that bad. Mm. I don't think I knew I felt that bad at the time. It's looking back on it. It's yeah. quite tricky. Um, but I found another thing I found hard with having a kid was the sort of, which I hadn't expected, was the the change in your relationship with your partner. Mm. If you have a partner, it was, I found that very tricky to navigate that to suddenly not, it wasn't, we'd been us two for so many years and then mm. suddenly it wasn't. And we were sort of just ships that passed in the night. It was like we were shift workers on yeah. opposite shifts and you would pass the baby between you. And then I just, it was like we were in the same house all the time, but I missed him. Mm. And it was, that was a, another sort of thing to navigate. Again, which they don't teach you in NCT. Um, so it's, um, I don't know, it's just having a kid is just massive on so many levels that you can't predict until you have a kid. It is, and I think the other thing that happens is it sort of unlocks all these feelings that you had about your own childhood, what worked for you with your, what your mum did, your dad did, or whatever situation you were in, and the things that you end up mimicking the same and the things that you think, I must make sure that's different. I mean, do you think, is your was your childhood quite similar, do you think, to what you intend for your daughter? Yeah, I think so. My, I had a I had a, such a wonderful childhood. I feel very lucky now. It was always very happy and silly. Silly. I think that's such a lovely oh, word. good, yeah. Isn't it? And that's that's yeah. definitely something. Like, I prioritise silliness above anything else with my daughter, which I think my husband always thinks is a good idea. But yeah. I just... It's like she has a personal jester. Um, and I love that. I love being silly. And I love now she's at the age where you can do, like, imaginary games and stuff. That's really great. That's all really fun, isn't it? Yeah, it's really Toddlers fun. Toddlers are really fun for that. Yeah. They're, like, out there with their thought process. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love that. Definitely. And I think I've got that from my mum. She's very silly. Um, uh, and I think my, my dad worked a lot, so he wasn't as involved um, with us when we were kids and I, I'd hope that that wouldn't necessarily be the same with my husband mm. I think generation generationally I don't know if I've said that right mm. um, my uh, uh, my husband is likely to be more involved I think men these days tend to be doing sweeping generalization um, <laughs> and so I would hope that um, yeah he's around a bit more I tell you one thing I've really found really sweet is uh, there's been some times where I've been doing things and my mum said, oh, I used to do that. And I'd like, oh, I don't, I don't have a, a I don't think I have a memory of that, but I mm. must have, like, I was putting my daughter in, I put her, putting socks on her or something and I was putting one sock on. I said, one potato. And I put the other one on and said, two potatoes. And my mum said, oh, I used to do that. Aww. And I, it's really sweet. It's like all these strange little things that you've, in the back of your brain that you link to childhood and I know. Yeah, they sort of come out. And sometimes it's the things that you found quite apparent that were quite annoying that you end up doing, which I've done. I do a lot of that. Um, there's a lot of stuff that my dad used to do. Like there's a, like when we'd walk home from school and we'd go down this little side passage and he'd always go, "This is the secret way. No one else knows this." And I'd be going, "Dad, loads of people know it around here. There's look at those people. They know it." You know, it, it was just a running joke. And I do exactly the same thing whenever I go down. It's, it's just so strange what pops out. Um, or when I'm crossing around, my dad used to do things like. Well, cross the road is like a little hamster who's just spotted a friend hamster on the other side and he wants to get there as quick as can. can. Like, things like he'd do it well, like, until I was a bit too old, really. You know? <laughs> I'd be like 12 going, I don't Dad's need talking about hamsters. Yeah, <laughs> but I do all of that stuff. But I think you're right about the silliness. Actually, that's a brilliant thing to have in a home and something that I think it's great for young childhood and it's brilliant the other side. But I do warn you that if you do what we've done in our house and I think families are like this I think families have got personality traits and things that get celebrated so for example some houses might put big emphasis on academic achievement uh, no, uh, sporting uh, events um, being you know very up on current affairs there's all sorts of things you know when you go into a house and you're like oh they're mm. quite serious these yeah. children and mm. I've done the same as you I've got 
quite a lot of silliness and we think anything funny, anything to do with music, dancing, quick-wittedness, all like, that's great, we'll talk about it, we'll be like, oh, good luck, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> but it does mean that it's quite hard to keep, when you're outnumbered like I am, it's quite hard to keep any sort of um, rigidity because right. you spent so long going, oh, look, he's up on the table and shaking his hips, it's great. <laughs> so it comes back to bite you a little bit, I would say. Uh, oh, okay, that's a good warning. Okay, yeah, I've got another three years... Yourself- yeah. Three years of silliness and then I'll rein it in. You won't be able to rein in. It's happened. <laughs> it's there. Oh, no. no oh, I've balls it up already. Yeah, oh, God. Yeah. Like, my kids can get around me like that. If they just make a joke... Um, I spent a long time being pretty uh, relaxed about school stuff and, you know, slagging off bad teachers. That comes back to bite you if there's ever going to be another pandemic. I don't recommend that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, it turns out I've done quite a lot of things that have not helped me, but... But overall, I do like having a creative house. I think having a creative, silly house where you're allowed to dress up, anything goes, is a place where they feel quite safe to be themselves. Do you think your parenting has shifted as you've had more kids? Like, did it, has it, have you got better? Do you think you've got better? Um, that's an interesting one. I think definitely I'm learning a lot along the way still. And my eldest is going to be 17 next month, which is just wild. And... Um, you know, I do think for him, Paul Soddy's had to teach me a lot about how to parent a teenager because it is quite a different chapter. Um, and luckily, he's quite sort of patient with me, really. And he does, you know, I do come to him a lot saying, oh, look, I think I got that bit wrong. What should I do? You know, how do I do this situation? But then they're all really different. And the next one down, he's 12 now. And when he discovers alcohol, it's just like, I don't know how I'm going <laughs> to steer that ship. Like, it's going to be a nightmare. <laughs> I think it must be so interesting because you've got such the age range mm. to have, you've got these sort of different parent brains on because the parent yeah. brain for a 17-year-old is very different from a parent brain that you need with a two-year-old. Yes, it is. And the way um, I think of it is different planets. I feel like I've mm. got, in the sort of family solar system, there's the five different planets and I have to land on each planet, you know, for a decent amount of time, ideally once a day, just check how the atmosphere is, how all the shoots are going adjust what needs adjusting and then shoot off and land on another planet it's like that and sometimes I'll be standing on one planet and I realize something's gone wrong on another one and it's like that that's how I feel I feel like I'm a little maternal astronaut (laughs) 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 but all the planets are slightly different so you know my instincts as an astronaut are the same but they all have slightly different ways of you know how to get their levels right to encourage growth that's such a good analogy (laughs) It's really how I feel though I think of it like that. All plants are different colours, different shapes probably. Um, yeah, I think that's the hardest thing really. And it's the quiet ones you have to watch as well. That's quite hard. We're quite a demonstrative family. And not all the kids are as good at being open about, you know, how they're feeling about things. So I have to keep an eye on who's not said much recently, which can mm. be tricky in a noisy family. Yeah, yeah, I bet. We were quite a noisy family and I remember deliberately being really quiet sometimes just to get my mum to say, are you okay, Ellie? Oh, is it just you and your sister? <laughs> just me and my sister, yeah, yeah. And are you the elder or the younger? I'm the younger one. Okay. She's just moved to Australia, actually, oh, which wow. is interesting. Yeah, so she's oh. emigrated with her family. So it's that's quite um, interesting to see how my... Because I've been writing the book, I've been thinking about like my parents and how they view us and obviously to, to suddenly have yeah. one of your children on the other side of the world is uh it's in, like what do you think about your kids leaving i just i say to my daughter never leave so me I. because i find you yeah yeah <laughs> no, i'm like you're not allowed to go to australia like that's just no which no, means no, no. probably made it inevitable um for some of them i mean you can't really control that stuff unfortunately i think my eldest might stay close to home but the next one down he's going to be gone he's gone yeah he was once doing a project where he had to take pictures of things for a memory bank and it was like little objects and then he took a picture of his brothers and i said why are you taking a picture of them he went, well after i leave home i'm only going to see them at like birthdays and christmas i <laughs> 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 planned it all um but is, is your husband australian he is yeah so me and my sister both married australian really men. Very weird, eh? It is weird. Watch too much Neighbours. It's far too influential. <laughs> Are they from the same part of Australia? No, different parts of Australia, which is unhelpful. <laughs> yeah, um, so it's not like you can go and no. sort of fly over and see the same lot. How far away... Well, your, is your sister from your in-laws? Uh, they are about four hours. Oh. Uh, four, uh, no, uh, maybe an hour, um, about a ten-hour drive or an hour flight. Yeah. Oh. Hmm. Yeah. 
It's inconvenient. Can she move a bit closer? So you just say you can do both at once. It's inconvenient on many levels. <laughs> it really uh, is, actually. Oh, God, what a witch. How but do you find is... keeping in touch with her? Well, fine now because it's just, you know, it, it, in a way I've never been more involved in her life. We message all the time. Mm. We uh, FaceTime in the mornings a lot. But it's, I still sort of, it's kind of like a grief in a way. Like I suddenly have pangs of, oh, she'll... She'll never go. I was going to tell her about the yellow lines outside Tesco. She won't go to that Tesco. She doesn't need to know about the yellow lines. And it's sort of this, I forget that she's not ever, she's never going to be here again for me to just drop in. Because I've moved, I've moved to the area that my family are from, Mm. back to where she was before she went. And I like, that's quite hard to sort of comprehend. And I feel very sad for my daughter not having her cousins. And now if she is an only child, she won't have any, she doesn't. She doesn't have anyone here. She's got such a little family and I feel a bit sad for her about that. So I'm very interested in talking to people who have only children because I want to try and... I want people to say it's okay and she oh, won't be fine. mad. Oh, no, it's fine. It definitely <laughs> is fine. I am friends with lots of only children and I know lots of people who only have one kid as well. Oh, do you? Yeah, yeah I do. I need to, I need to seek, seek these people out. But you're sort of taught, encouraged to think it's a, a bad thing, actually. But I, th- I don't know. I think people are way too tactless with that. I mean, I was an only child till I was eight and it was... So basically my, my young childhood was all on me on my own. And it was fine. <laughs> You're fine. You worked <laughs> fine. out all right. Fine. Um, <laughs> I think you get quite good at adult conversation if you spend a lot of time growing ups with other kids. <clears throat> and also, if your friends have got kids, then she'll, at least you have people to play with. I didn't even really have that. How come? My friend's parents just didn't really seem to have any kids. Um, I think my mum had me at 23. Not, not mega young, but in her group of friends it was... I was the only child, basically, at parties and, you know, their birthdays and that kind of thing. I just don't really remember there ever being any other kids around. Maybe there were, like, one or two sometimes. <laughs> ah, yeah, I've heard that a lot, that if you have... Uh, yeah, they're, they're good at they're good at talking, they're good conversationalists because they've just spent so much time with adults. Um, but I think, yeah, with me, I chat a lot, and obviously my husband's a journalist, so, yeah, I think she could be a right precocious little rat. So <laughs> I look forward to that. And <laughs> um, just going back, just thinking about something you said before when you were writing your stand up just after you'd had her and you're saying you didn't know how to be funny. Was that, I suppose I didn't really think about that because that's, that's quite a big deal to not feel funny. Yeah. yeah. Was that I, just not finding just life in general just a bit too intense to find humour or was it just literally in the way you would normally write? I think it was that I just had, my stand up is always very much around what's happening to me and what I'm up to. It's very inward facing um and I just felt like my whole head was full with a child I couldn't have I couldn't have think about any funny anecdotes or observe anything that had happened outside of having a child because Mm. that was what my brain was for and I remember I remember so specifically like feeling like I haven't posted on Instagram for a while I need to put something on Instagram and I just couldn't think of what to do and Mm. then I remembered oh I've just bought some little um uh, like succulents like little cactuses that live in and the plant pot that they were in was the shape of a plastic dinosaur and I was like oh, I can do something about them and I felt absolutely elated that I was going to post something that wasn't about being a mum or having a child I think I felt the pressure yeah to not just talk about that whereas I think now if I had another one I'd be like well no I can talk about that because that's what it is that's what my life is right now mm. that's okay don't feel worried about that. But I, yeah, I did, I did think I will never feel funny again. I just felt like my brain would always be consumed with how long she's been asleep, how long until the next nap, what she's eaten. Do I need to do some washing? What do we need to get more nappies? Just that sort of thought. Yeah, I just yeah. thought my brain is, it's just not, there's just no capability to have anything else. And that's all to do with finding, like you said, finding who you are again and working out how you work. Um, and now, yeah, it's fine again. I do feel back to, I do feel back to me, but, um, and I, I still worry when I stand up. I'm like, I don't want it to be all about having a kid. But that is, it is a big part of my life. Yeah. And they're really funny. It's, it's a pretty rich topic as well <laughs> yeah, for humour. Yeah, There's a lot She's of scope really there. Exactly. And I'd be a fool not to use it. So um, as we went for a walk yesterday down the local high street. And three times in the middle of the street, she pulled down her trousers and knickers and said, need to do a poo, please. And I was like, you can't. Not in the high street. We will be banned from WH Smiths if you keep doing this. Um, and just like that kind of thing, it just keeps keeps you on your toes, doesn't it? Want to go please? 
It definitely does. It's funny because um, I saw a clip of you doing stand-up when you were pregnant with her, and I think you must have been probably, I think you're probably about six or seven months, and you're like in a mini dress covered mm. in diamante, and you look incredible, high heels. So it must have been quite quite strange when you'd had the baby to sort of look, think back to how you'd felt then and just thought, where's that really, like, empowered woman gone? But it's so nice that it came back relatively quickly because I think some women can actually feel like that for it can go on for years you know that Mm, feeling mm. I spoke to a woman not so long ago who felt like that for about seven years she just said she was really angry just cross just didn't really know who she was where she was up to and I think feeling like you can it sounds a bit um a bit Oprah but being able to sort of look at yourself and say I actually love who I am now rather than slightly sort of feeling like I don't recognise who that woman is anymore, mm. is really a significant thing. And I think some for some mums it does take a really long time. To, or they may, maybe doesn't even, they're not even realising they're not feeling like that, actually. Yeah, I think a lot of it is reflection, isn't it? When you yeah. look back, you go, oh, that's... You, don't sort, you can't quite clock it at the time. No. Um, it's quite easy yeah. to be invisible with it too, actually. A lot of uh, parenting I found shockingly sort of homogenised who I was and I, I I still hate that now like if I go for me it's always a soft play I think of when I think of that feeling where I'm basically just there as a chaperone and I'm I could be anybody and I've sort of lost you know anything I do out in the real world is just gone and it's just sat at a little table waiting for my kid to come back and get their shoes back on yeah 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 it's quite great it's quite humbling isn't it <laughs> it is there's a lot of humbling experiences along the way <laughs> I mean I, I quite like the the gap actually between my day job and coming in and, it, you know, back here, it's just all about whatever's been going on there. And I can go very quickly from, you know, doing a gig to changing a nappy, whatever. It's like, just like that. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite ridiculous, really. But you have to embrace that ridiculousness. The silliness will see you through, I swear to yeah. God. <laughs> Embracing the silly is a good thing, Ellie. I, I totally, totally support that. Yeah. Okay, thank you. <laughs> well, um, thank you so much for your time. I, I really am keen to know what your husband thinks of your book. It's too late now. He can't change anything. I know. Well, it's going to, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's going to a lawyer soon, so he's got limited time. Is that what happens then? So you yeah, write you have the whole get... thing and then... You write the thing and then it goes to a lawyer to check that, you know, your mum's not going to sue you or anything. Um yeah, to check that everything's okay. And so, did you just write everything in it and then let your publisher and the lawyer take things out? Or did you sort of edit on the way? I edited on the way, yeah. Okay. And it'll be interesting to see what the lawyer says. But hopefully I haven't defamed anyone too badly. So, Well, I can't wait to read it. Oh, thank you so much. That's so exciting. So it's it's called um, My Child and Other Mistakes, is that right? Yeah, My Child and Other Mistakes, How to Ruin Your Life in the Best Way Possible. So oh. it's out in July. That's very exciting, and I'm very impressed you've managed to write a book within the last year. So am I, Sophie, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Because I've been writing at the moment, so for me this is like a new thing, and I'm very, probably a bit like you are about new mums, I'm a bit like that about people writing books now, just a bit fascinated by how people write. You said you had headphones in when you write, what are you listening to? Classical music, I can't have anything with lyrics, or white noise. Okay, but you have to have something there. Yeah, it doesn't want to block it out. Or sometimes I just put my um, earbuds in and just mm. have it on the block out mode just so I can't hear any anything in the background at all. Yeah, just to focus on. And um, is it very different to writing your stand-up or any other kind of writing you've done? Uh, uh, I think it's, I find it, it's more, it's very, it's, it's a big deal to do, mm. but it's kind of less stressful in a way than stand-up because, you know, with stand-up, you've got to write a, a joke that is funny enough for people to audibly go, ha, 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 ha. Because uh, when you're writing, I can write something and I don't have to aim for that. I can, you know, sometimes there will be really funny bits, but there are other bits that will just be hmm, a light titter. Do you know what I mean? And um, just, yeah, to not have the, the pressure of having a standing ovation joke uh, all the time because you can't possibly do that for a book that's, 70,000 words long mm. um so it's it's different I've really I've just really enjoyed it. I've always been a writer first mm. and foremost really so to be able to just yeah to be able to just oh just sit down and write all day it's just oh so lovely how long do you write for when you write how long were your stints oh whenever I've got time so sometimes know? quite long blocks yeah like days really like a day, well you know you do like a maybe a couple of hours then a break then a couple of hours it's quite draining, isn't it? It is, yeah. I think you do need to take breaks from it. There's mm. the. Have you heard of a technique now called the pom? There's a technique called the Pomodoro technique, which is you do forty minutes on and then you go and have a break, 
um okay. 40 minutes on yeah and then like 10 minutes off i think it is just to sort of shake you out of it it's got nothing so, to do with tomatoes don't think so oh. <laughs> it's disappointing. i don't know yeah a tomato <laughs> invented it yeah i don't know <laughs> what do you think your husband's gonna say about the book uh i think the biggest praise he could give me the highest praise he could give me is that it's well written <laughs> um for him you know he's not my target audience but yeah. i think um it's obviously, it's my story, but it's kind of our story in there as well. So I just really hope he likes it. I, I just really he hope that he does. Yeah, I would, he's the first person to read it who, you know, means a lot to me. So I would love him to, a little pat on the head from him about it would mean a lot. Oh, I'm sure that's on its way. <laughs> I'll let you go and get your pat on the head. Thanks so Thanks, much, Ellie. It was lovely to speak to you. Pleasure, Lots treasure. of love. Take care. Bye. See you in the real world one day. Yeah. We've never actually met in person. We've done <laughs> two chats online. I think that's kind of... Yeah, but at some point we will. I'll, I'll one day. Across. One day. All right. Lots of love. Enjoy the rest Bye. of your day, Ellie. Take care. Bye. Do you know what's funny? Uh, the other day I did a radio programme and just before we went live, the very kind woman broadcaster said to me, do you know I've listened to some of your podcasts and I think you have something called hyperfluency because you never say um and uh and it's thrown me so much that I feel like I say it a lot and I'd like to apologise because I said um and uh quite a lot in my introduction to this podcast episode and I can only blame that compliment. It has tripped me up entirely. <laughs> anyway... Wasn't Ellie brilliant? And I actually think there's a lot to be said for her complete placard holding support of other mothers. I do think that motherhood often does feel like you sort of slip through the cracks of your own life a little bit and you can feel a bit homogenised and that your personality is sort of vanished and who you were before doesn't feel completely relevant to slip back into. And you're also very much that small person's parent and their needs come first. And so you can feel a bit swallowed up. And I think reading between the lines of what Ellie was saying, she's saying that that can happen to a lot of people. And now she gets why people put things like mother and mum on their T-shirt or their necklace or whatever, just because you want to own it a little bit. It's a big deal that you've done it, but it's also not all that you are. Anyway, I think it took me a long time to feel like that, actually. I think I did feel lost in amongst it, definitely when I had my first. I adored being Sunny's mum, but I didn't really know how to find me again. And I think that's probably why I ended up talking to you guys and to the women I've ended up interviewing, just to see if other people felt the same. Maybe you feel the same, or maybe if you're not a parent, you might have had something else that's done that to you. I think there's many things that can happen in life that can make you feel a bit like that. Anyway, I'm really in a very rambly kind of mood today, and I can only blame the fact that I'm in a quiet room, sitting down. It's the fact that I have the freedom to actually just waffle on. Um, and with that I'm going to bid you adieu and I'm not going to do what I did last week which is to trail whoever's going to speak to you next week because I'll probably get it wrong all I can tell you is I've recorded some amazing chats for this series and we're not at the end of it yet so don't worry I have some treats in store some lovely women some brilliant conversations lots of wisdoms more laughs and I'll see you all next week have a good one bye bye powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Jesse Cruikshank. Jesse Cruikshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout. Because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs> 